0: Carol Ann Duffy's poem, War Photographer, is found in the current IGCSE um, anthology published by Edexcel. It's also a poem that is used relatively frequently at GCSE level as a set text. And it's a poem which I think hides under an initial relative simplicity a, a wonderfully complex observation about the role of these civilians who travel to war zones to essentially to bear witness. Um, students studying the poem for Edexcel IGCSE, such as the students that I teach will know it as a possible pair for comparative analysis in the first English literature paper. And the article here that I'm about to present to you is one attempt to unpick its secrets, um, you know, Some people like to read it, in which case you can find the written version on my blog, www.jwpblog.com. Otherwise, for many, this is a very convenient and straightforward way of engaging with the poem. So Duffy's short poem is divided into four stanzas, each designed to explore an aspect of the process of delivering photographs from a war zone to the rather complacent readers at home she uses the setting of the darkroom to allow consideration of the role of photographer and to highlight the contrasts between the two worlds in which he operates from the start of the poem the darkroom and I'm always amazed actually how few students recognize this as a thing um, referring mainly to the idea of an ill-lit room obviously digital photography has now become so ingrained hardly surprisingly in society that the idea of a darkroom has somehow been lost this room is shown as having the only red light which Softly glows a womb like world of peace, which is likened directly to church. The red light echoing the red of the candle holders range around the altar as the priest intones a mass, the service for the dead, as well as the daily devotion. At once we can relate the photographer to the priest, bearing witness to the inescapable truths of the world. He has his spools of suffering, little rolls of film which carry the pictures of pain and destruction and metaphorically containing part of that suffering themselves. The three cities named possibly reflect each of the spools lined up in the manner of tombstones in a war cemetery, ordered rows. All our cities destroyed in war and each deserve memorial. The stanza closes with a line from the funeral service commenting on the transient nature of life. Of course, the photographs are able to fight against this idea. They speak for the dead long after their deaths. Within this hallowed ground, the photographer, celebrant, allows his mind to wander as the process of developing film continues. In the second stanza, we focus on the trays of developing fluid and Duffy can show us the past and present in the image of the hands which did not tremble then. Despite the importance of the job highlighted by the short sentence which opens the stanza, all businesslike and unemotional, the photographer is suffering himself with what we readers can recognise as PTSD. He considers his home, rural England, as far removed from war as it is possible to be, and his mind begins to picture all he has seen. The long sentence which closes the stanza reflects the way in which his mind moves from the rational focus on his job to a more emotional and uncontrolled response. The vivid imagery of running children in a nightmare heat clearly recalls the photograph of a naked child running to avoid a napalm attack in Vietnam possibly the first war photograph to achieve iconic status as an artwork, as well as a record of cruelty. The nightmare heat refers as much to the reappearance of the image in his mind, as well as the unimaginable horror of the actual attack. This setting, rural England, sits as a single sentence, centrally to the stanza. This is his home, his heimat, if you like, the place he belongs. It is unable to remain untainted now by all he has seen. As stanza three opens, he's brought back to an awareness of the process in the darkroom. Another short, business-like sentence alerts him that something is happening. In the process, the image is beginning to emerge onto the photo paper like a half-formed ghost, suggesting the subject of the picture is long dead. The verb twist suggests almost hallucinogenic vision of the past come to haunt him as his memories take from the darkroom back to the war zone. His memories now are oral memories the cries and the attempts to bridge a vocabulary gap in order to gain permission to photograph this man. He describes this permission as doing what someone must, he's compelled to act, rather as the priest is compelled to follow God's word. Thus his job becomes more a vocation to bear witness to the inhumanity of man. He recalls vividly the blood stained into foreign dust. Again, recalling the death service, dust to dust, and linking us back to the opening images in stanza one, the marking of the soil as foreign is also important, since it separates him and the reader from uh, from the events by geographical distance. In stanza four, this will become vital as the papers arrive on the Sunday tables. In the last stanza, his photograph moves out of his control, and it is the editor who will choose the image to use from the hundred agonies provided by the photographer. The choice will be made on the grounds of emotions created. The respect for the dead, shown by the photographer, is replaced by a need to sell papers by making the reader's eyeballs prick with tears. I love that sharp monosyllable with the prick at the end of the line there, the enjambement taking us through before it so that we have that infinitesimal gap as we realize that actually this is to do with creating emotion and that emotion hurts the photograph which began as a tomb like spool has become a transient memorial easily placed to one side in order to take lunch the internal rhyme of tears with beers neatly shows the photographer's scorn for those who can see this image and not be scarred by it he however has to move on and in the final couplet he is in a new setting an aeroplane flying to his next job. Whilst the poem closes on the negative do not care, referring to the readers. Detached yet suffering in his own way, his mission to continue to bear witness to the cruelty of the world. Duffy writes, throughout the poem in an iambic tread, generally using pentameter lines, they're not exclusively. Whilst I think it's far-fetched to equate her blank verse with Shakespeare's and to claim that she presents a mini tragedy in this anonymous hero, we must be aware of the heritage of this verse form in our culture. It is the verse of Shakespeare and is used when discussion is of high emotional impact or referring to characters of high status. It can be no coincidence that Duffy chose this rhythm to present such an intense idea to the reader. The need to bear witness is challenged by the need to make a profit and the complacency of the men at home abed. I have suggested before when writing about Harrison's uh, The Bright Lights of Sarajevo that there is a link between iambic pentameter and the heartbeat. In a poem which shares similar ideas as the Harrison, the idea still holds. The steady heartbeat underlies the whole poem. In times of stress, the beat races and the lines extend. Line ten being an example of this free-running emotion, accentuated by the enjambment of the following couplet: "To fields which, as far as nightmare heat." The stanza closes with a rhymed couplet, as each will, much as in the same way in which Shakespeare uses this device to indicate the close of a scene in his play. And by the way, Duffy's Manchester accent will allow "mass" and "grass" to rhyme. This is not a half rhyme. I hope that's been useful and uh, I hope you're enjoying uh, using these podcasts and um, I hope you'll listen to more. Thank you very much.